Uh, but I think for men, uh, it matters a lot too. Uh, <clears throat> there's various things I would point out to. One, uh, I think when we see women and or women in God, it changes the way we think about women and uh, about God. Uh, I, I gave this anecdote in another podcast, but I'll, I'll, I'll repeat it here. And that's, I remember when I go to a general conference <clears throat> when I was a BYU student. And uh, one time I went to a friend's house and, and we were sitting there, you know, watching it. And then, you know, a sister would get up to speak, you know, and then everybody would be like, oh, it's time to check out, time to go grab the nachos, time to go, you know, do this because they're just going to talk about, you know, babies and, you know, uh, going to talk about, you know, women things. And, and they don't really speak for God anyway. You know, they're not really, you know, true church leaders or, or you know, the priesthood or something like that. Now, Oof. no one said that out loud. You know, I'm not trying to, like, say that, although there were some that, that would. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, uh, it, it, it got me thinking about the way that, that we view some of our, our church you know, leaders who are female and, and the way that we view divinity does, you know, reflect on on where we view authoritative language to, to lie. So I, I think once we, we really view a, wow, there is a, a female figure to whom I'm beholden to, who has an eternal relationship with me and, and who I'm accountable towards, uh, that, that could shift some of our thinking uh, that, that we have with women. Uh, some guests I'm connected to, and then I do the episode the very next day. Other guests I'm connected to, and then it takes multiple years before we sit down. It is the multiple year case for this episode. Excited to be able to share more about Heavenly Mother with you, uh, with Marty Polito. If you like what we talk about, or you know what, I'll be honest, I can take it. If you hear something in this episode that you're like, you know what, that rubbed me the wrong way, or I have more questions about that, or whatever it may be, I hope that you'll reach out to us. You can find us on any of the social medias at The Cultural Hall, or you can email us contact at theculturalhall.com. I hope you enjoy this episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall. And, uh, you know, it's like 109 episodes in the making to be able to get Marty Polito here. Uh, if you remember, back in episode 471, uh, we visited with the uh, women behind A Girl's Guide to Heavenly Mother. And I think as part of that conversation, I'm not sure if it was the off-air or the on-air part of that conversation, they said, you know who else you should talk to? And I said, who? And they said, Marty Polito. And I said, yeah, you bet. I'll get that done in the next couple episodes. And here we are, a hundred and you know, some change episodes later, and uh, Marty and I get to sit down. Welcome, sir. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you having me on board here. Uh, sorry, it took uh, perhaps longer than you wanted here. I, I had a fourth child uh, late last year. Uh, in October. So uh, well, exciting to have him in the world, but uh, it, it did suck me away from, <laughs> from beating with people. So uh, yeah. be, beyond the very simple joke, which would be you had a child. Wow. Congratulations. This interview is going to be about something completely different than I thought. I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to leave. Yeah. What? I'm just going to leave that completely alone. Marty, tell me a little bit about yourself before we start talking about our heavenly mother. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Uh, so uh, about myself, uh, geez, father of four. Uh, I work in the business world, uh, technology. Uh, I work with restaurants, uh, mostly large chains like Wingstop. Uh, I've worked with Chipotle and others, and I help them with their point-of-sale technology, online orders, and so on. So that's that's my responsibilities by day. Uh, then, you know, fatherhood by night. And then by late night, I try to squeeze in other things that, that are <laughs> matter to me too, right? Uh, so I, I went to BYU. Uh, I was a philosophy uh, major, also an English major. Uh, liked to not only you know research on Heavenly Mother, but other parts of you know the, the philosophical uh, repertoire. So yeah, uh, have had various interests there, and uh, you play racquetball a lot. Uh, <laughs> now, have, have, <laughs> no long walks in the beach in yeah, Texas. You well, know, well, well. Have you ventured into pickleball? That's very hot right now. You know, it is. Uh, it's played at my local uh, gym here, but I, I have not joined into that yet. Uh, when I lived in Illinois as a kid, though, it was a normal part of our gym classes. And so I did get to to put some good spin on that wiffle ball. Now, 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 let me ask you this about the uh, racquetball. Are you a safety goggle racquetball guy or are you living on the edge when you step into the court? <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I do live on the edge. I think though that's I got this like very prominent like Cro-Magnon brow that, that comes out and gives this, this natural protection from, from balls piercing my eyes. So I've never, never worried about it like another person. Well, and then the other question is, is uh, you, you set yourself up real well with the philosophy and an English major to have a really good coaster with your life. But how did you land in tech? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, like, like any, uh, Man, someone could take this the wrong way. I considered myself a, a responsible liberal arts major mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that, you know, during all my summers, I always made sure that, you know, I was doing internships with, you know, marketing companies or the other business firms uh, th- this way. Should I not be able to pursue my academic dreams, which did occur and was a little painful, um, I, you know, I, I still had something else that, that I could pursue gainfully for my family. So uh, started marketing, uh, had a relationship with someone over at NCR, which is where I work now, uh, and uh, was able to, to get into their, their account management team. So it just kind of segued from my, my normal summer internships. And I just have to be curious about this because you said you're the point of sale for like, you know, not only the, the online del- or online ordering, but also like the pickup and stuff like that. That seems to me that your last couple of years has been insane then. Yeah. Yeah. It's been kind of crazy. Um, uh, unlike some of my coworkers, I, I've worked in the quick service space. So that that's been that business has been good, right? Mm-hmm. You, you had all these table service places that were closed. Uh, that you know, then people concerned about COVID or you know sitting down uh, are are able to then just drive, go through drive through, or do delivery pickup or, or what have you. So uh, yes, very very busy time for for my customers. Now, uh, we're likely to talk mostly about your late, late night endeavors, which would be uh, the, those things that uh, find you being curious, uh, writing books. Um, I, I would be curious to know a, a little bit about um, where you first became interested in Heavenly Mother, because A Boy's Guide to Heavenly Mother isn't your first writing about uh, Heavenly Mother. So, so. So what makes you, a gentleman in the church, so interested about Heavenly Mother? Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think like many men, we I, I knew about Heavenly Mother. It wasn't like, you know, somebody told me about it one day and I was like, what? <laughs> you know, never heard of it before. I mean, maybe there's probably some who are that way. But, you know, uh, I, I was always raised with, with the notion uh, and... You know, as a missionary, I, I thought about it more too. I, I sang the church hymns, you know. So, uh, oh, my father was there, but oh, what songs of the heart too? Didn't really know about you know. We meet again as sisters because I, I wasn't a sister and right. sing that one right. as much. Uh, but you know, I, I had always been you know kind of curious and always accepted the notion. Uh, but I, I would say, of course, what really spurred my interest much further is is when I was working with Dr. David Hoop Paulson, who who of course now has passed. Uh, and uh, he, he had been doing uh, some research uh, that, from a grant that he'd received from, from the Women's Research Institute over at BYU, now defunct, but, you know, was uh, providing grants to, to people at the time, uh, professors at BYU. Uh, and he was trying to follow up on some research he'd done in an article that is, you know, are, are Christians Mormon, which mm-hmm. is trying to look at, you know, hey, how, how are contemporary Christians starting to manifest in their theology you know, ideas that that resonate with Latter-day Saint theology. And one of those was on the divine feminine. So he'd gotten that approved. And, you know, he had a pretty large research staff. It actually kind of surprised me that that a BYU professor could have, you know, eight to 10, you know, people working underneath them to, to research, you know, uh, different topics. So pretty robust uh, leeway and, and research that Dr. Paulson was given by BYU. Uh, but he, uh, yeah, he had Rachel Hunt Steenblick, you know, start some work for him there. Uh, and then when she graduated, you know, he, he needed someone to pick it up. And uh, I was like, wow, that sounds like a pretty, you know, fascinating thing to research. So, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely take that on. So, um, you know, once I did that, it, it just kind of naturally progressed from there. I'm like, wow, th- there's a lot more here than I thought. Um you know, I, I just had been mostly aware of, you know, the family proclamation and other official declarations uh, of the First Presidency at the, you know, prior to, to getting into research. And I just kept going at it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, was a nerd at the Harold Bealey Library reading through periodicals and, you know, using what online search capabilities they were at the time, which were, were 
Eh, they're mid tier. <laughs> they're not as good as they are now. Yeah, you know. Yeah, like, and I, I actually lament some of the gaps in research that are there in that article because of the deficiencies that were available at the time. But hey, that's okay. Uh, and so I, I, I co-authored that uh, BYU Studies article. Uh, I'm other, you know, there with uh, David Paulson, pretty pretty big article surveying the the historical teachings about Heavenly Mother from you know the the start till now from from our church leadership. One lens in which to look at the material, not not the only lens, right? Uh, so at yeah, the, I'll at pause. The, I don't want to monologue. No, no, no. You're fine. At the time of that publishing, was there much published about Heavenly Mother before that? As far as you know, this study or this gathering of of, of different information. That's a good question. Uh, I'd say academic treatment of Heavenly Mother really didn't start until the 1980s. You know, uh, up until that point literally did did not exist as far as I've been able to detect. Uh, you really started initially like some Sunstone articles. Uh, there are also, uh, you know, some academic articles outside of LDS periodicals. It's like, you know, compared it to, to Shaker, you know, views of, of God. Um, you might also have um, some feminist articles that, that you know, uh, emerged after the, the 80s that, that continued that trend. Uh, but nothing that I thought really holistically tried to gather all the data. It just kind of, you know, hit some, some you know, punches of, of high notes or, or particularly strong, you know, references. So, so was it then, uh, is it fair to say that it was sort of um, glass ceiling shattering to have that published and, and, and be able to start that conversation and then for future people to be able to reference, hey – this is a thing and be able to roll out more and more from that moment? I think so. Um, I'd be happy to be challenged on that. Uh, but what I would say in that respect is I think a lot of taboo started to surround uh, the research around Heavenly Mother in the 90s due to, you know, the September 6 uh, excommunications. Uh, and it's not like there was a particular thing related to Heavenly Mother that, you know, said that this is a problem, but the people, you know, who got excommunicated talked about that. So it just kind of naturally became this area of like, oh, I need to be careful. I need to be cautious. Right. Uh, and so I think by us publishing that article within, you know, the, a, a mainstream university, you know, academic press, it's somewhat loosened the, the, the sense of that, broke that from people's mind where they're like, okay, yeah, we, we can talk about this as a faith again and not worry about some, I don't know, um, repercussion. That, that would be negative. So I, I consider it uh, glass ceiling shattering in that extent. And I think it was also, you know, pretty thorough. It wasn't, wasn't everything, but it was pretty thorough in a way that it hadn't been before, where it was, was a little bit more anecdotal and having it all kind of looped together there, I think was, was pretty significant. I know that you said David Paulson was a professor. What else uh, about him? Why was he so passionate? Uh, obviously, now that he's passed, what, what drove him to do this project? Yeah, that's a fair question. You know, I don't know if I ever asked David that specifically. <laughs> I, I can extrapolate from some things I, I knew about Dr. Paulson. Uh, Dr. Paulson uh, really loved the, the revelations of Joseph Smith. Um, he, he really liked some things that Joseph Smith did in terms of how he presented God. Uh, you know, God is a personal being that is embodied. Dr. Paulson wrote several articles defending divine embodiment uh, talking about divine embodiment uh, in, in the context of Mormon theodicy, Mormon beliefs, relationship to God, man's relationship. Uh, so I, I see Heavenly Mother definitely is, is tied into some of those interests, you know, having a, a material, you know, external, you know, mother figure uh, who has a body just like God the Father, um, you know, definitely helped uh, echo, you might say, some of those trends he'd, he'd already been seeing in, in Mormon theology. So uh, I think that interested him. Um, I think he's, uh, of course, he was interested in, in Heavenly Mother as well, though, too. I did sit over at his house and, you know, he was very excited and passionate about the project. But I just, I didn't necessarily poke him for those specific whys. Uh, in, so, a, in addition to that, so you sort of help him uh, with this, and I'll provide a link to it um, so that people can check it out. It's a BYU study. It's called A Mother There, A Survey of Historical Teachings About Mother in Heaven, uh, authored by Dr. Paulson and uh, Marty Polito. But you could have left it alone. You could have been done with it there. What made you go, hey, there needs to be uh, some more work on this? Yeah, that's fair. 
Um, as I did this research, uh, I naturally presented on it, mm-hmm. not just to the, the Women's Research Institute or BYU, but I participated in the Society of Mormon Philosophy and Theology. Uh, I presented with one of my, my good friends from college, Eric Dowdle, uh, at one of those conferences. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I got a question from, you know, one of the, the audience members on, you know, well, hey, this is all great. You did that this. Um, what do you think would actually uh, go about uh, creating further discussion within the Latter-day Saint faith about Heavenly Mother? And uh, in the back of my, t- of my, my mind, uh, and, and then I ended up saying it out loud, is uh, probably not what we're doing here, <laughs> which probably wasn't fair to, to the academic community to an extent, you know. But yet you understand that, that when you talk with, you know, people who are interested in academics, you're, you're talking to a very you know, select, you know, group of people. It's not as broad uh, as other circles. And so what, what I told the, the audience members, what I think would probably be most impactful would be art. Hmm. You know, that if we actually went and, you know, created things that, that express this belief that those would spread far more quickly and, and stimulate far more discussion than would be um, our our academic articles. Now, again, I'm not saying those don't have a place. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, say that's not a, a valuable effort, but I, I, I got thinking as a result of that conference and that question that, you know, I should be uh, approaching this, this topic a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess you might say initially studying Heavenly Mother uh, appealed to me on, on a, a purely intellectual level or is able to, to somewhat distinguish from, you know, the, the, uh, emotional impact or, or connection, you know, with Heavenly Mother from just, hey, it's, it's a topic to study. You know, yeah. you did some philosophy with ethics, right? Yeah, right. You may not think about your actual moral quandaries. You just think about the underlying theory and, and go about it. But um, as I studied it more, I, I did start to resonate with it myself, you mm. know. Um, and, and in fact, kind of got puzzled when people asked why, why, why I was interested. I'm like, you know, I thought, if I have an earthly mother, I would think it was odd if you told me that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So anyway, I uh, I got into it uh, through through an art lens and then started participating more uh, along artistic literary lines. Again, English major as well. Sure. So sure. you know, not, not not the only interest being stri- strictly the intellectual. So uh, I created a, a uh, art and poetry contrast for for Heavenly Mother. Uh, it was called a mother here there. I was, I was trying to, to look at it from, Hey, we, we sometimes speak about heavenly father and heavenly mothers kind of being absent while Jesus is, is the guy here, you know, with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I wanted to kind of flip that notion on its head a little bit. Uh, but I, uh, arranged with two different judges at BYU. Uh, one was Herman Dutoy. Uh, another was uh, Susan Elizabeth Howe and had them you know, evaluate submissions that were in the visual arts category as well as a poetry category. How, what, um, kind, what kind of response did you get from, from people entering that? I got a pretty good response. I mean, I, uh, it didn't surprise me that poetry was a, a stronger, uh, you know, number of submissions and some quality was, was stronger simply in the sense that um, it, there's a stronger tradition with poetry and heavenly mother, right? Yeah, um, yeah. When the, I created the contest I think it was only where three visual arts pieces of Heavenly Mother, hmm. right? There was one in a, in a pamphlet at the ten- turn of the century that was on my father, and then there's a painting of Heavenly Mother in there. Uh, and then there were two that were done in Sunstone Magazine covers. But, you know, I, I thought, wow, there's not much of a, I'm trying to think of how to say this best, a, a religious symbology, you know, that, that people could connect with Heavenly Mother while with, uh, poetry, you know, there had already been a lot of ground trod by, by various poets, you know, before. Yeah. Uh, so uh, now I was thrilled by the output, though. Um, it was really exciting to see, uh, you know, of course, the quality of the poetry. Dana Patterson, who is the winner, she's, she's incredible uh, and did some great work um, from, from many other people, too. Uh, it, it started off Rachel Hunt, Steamblicks, you know, for, for Anne to um, Heavenly Mother Poetry, which she's, she's continued uh, and then on the visual arts side, it was like, wow, it's so fun to see these people grapple with this problem of how do I portray the divine? You know, people just take it for granted with Jesus and with Heavenly Father because they, they inherit these symbols from centuries long past. With Heavenly Mother, they didn't, they didn't get that luxury. Right. So it was really fun to see how how they had to, to grapple that question of 
you know, how do I portray this person in terms of their, you know, their gender, their, their race, you know, do I try to avoid that by making, you know, the mother somehow more into natural imagery or transparent in certain ways. And then you have the form, like just, just studying and seeing how people tried to grapple with the question of how to portray the divine was actually really fun. Hmm. Hmm. I want to take a break real quick. When we come back in the second block, I want to talk specifically about A Boy's Guide to Heavenly Mother. We'll do that coming back in the second block of the Cultural Hall. In addition to recording this here show and putting it out week over week over week, I've been doing this for over 11 years now, and it has become part of my life that I will teach others how to do the same. Now, not necessarily the same as the cultural hall, but if you are interested in doing a podcast, you've thought, oh man, you know what, I've got this great idea. Uh, I do help folks in a couple different ways. Uh, One is I teach a class. It's got curriculum and assignments and the whole deal uh, that I can be able to help you walk through through as you are looking to start a podcast, uh, or if you're looking for someone to help edit, help uh, produce, help uh, you know consult on a weekly basis with your podcast, you can also reach out to me. And the best way probably, honestly, to do that is if you find me, Richie T. Stedman, on any social media, that is a great way, or you can always just email us, contact at theculturalhall.com. Would love to help you out. Would love to talk to you about your idea. Would love to see if it would be something that uh, we could put into to, uh emotion. Let's do it. I almost said put into practice. That doesn't make sense. Uh, Send me an email, contact at theculturalhall.com. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, remember that you can become a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall by simply going to patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. You want to see Marty's blurred out background? The only way that you can see the video of this interview is if you become a Patreon saint. It's as simple as five or ten dollars a month. That's uh, what we ask. It costs money to do this stuff. You know, that the uh, the hosting, why that alone, if you only had any idea, uh, go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. You also get to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group for all the Patreon saints who are hanging out. Join us there, patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. Marty, a boy's guide to Heavenly Mother. I'm going to ask a very crude question, but why do boys need to care, right? The, the conversation so much is for women. If they can see it, they can be it. But men have seen a Heavenly Father or a God since essentially the beginning. Why, why do we men need to care about this? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm appreciate the question. You know, I, I get it, you know, fairly frequently, as you can imagine. Sure. So um, uh, uh, part of me is like, well, uh, can you imagine flipping that question to to a, a woman and, and saying that? Like, can you say, oh, hey, I know you already know about Heavenly Mother, but like Heavenly Father? Like, really? Why should you care? Like, you know, I mean, yes, yes, he sent his son. Yes, all these things. But like, you already got Heavenly Mother. So like, why? Why does that matter to you? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we, we would all think that sounds a little odd to us, you know, when, when couched in those terms, because we we so commonly revere, you know, Heavenly Father. Uh, but it, for some reason, we, we can't get it, you know, if yeah. it was flipped the other way. Yeah. I, I don't know why. Uh, but what, what I would say there is, you know, I, we totally generally understand why women would be interested in, in Heavenly Mother since you look at, you know, male divinity. Uh, it, divinity is, is often shown to be male, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's that problem for them of how do they even see themselves as divine? You know, how, how do they relate when, you know, father and son are, are embodied in the, you know, Mormon theology uh, that you don't see in traditional Christian theology as much, right? You mm-hmm. know, um, while terms like father used, God is also beyond gender uh, so that they can somewhat resonate with that, you might say. Although you might question if you resonate in all with, with something that isn't like you. Uh, but, you know, in, in our world, we, we kind of have squeezed the, the male uh, or the female out and, and the male in, you know, prophets are male, angels are often portrayed to be male. 
And we're up until I think Minerva Tykert. Uh, I don't think you'll see a female angel in, in Latter-day Saint uh, paintings uh, up until her. Uh, and now that's obviously changed a lot mm -hmm. uh, in our recent artwork in the last 20, 30 years. Uh, but I think for men, uh, it matters a lot too. Uh, <clears throat> there's various things I would point out to. One, uh, I think when we see women and or women in God, it changes the way we think about women and uh, about God. Uh, I, I gave this anecdote in another podcast, but I'll, I'll, I'll repeat it here. And that's, I remember when I go to a general conference <clears throat> when I was a BYU student. And uh, one time I went to a friend's house and, and we were sitting there, you know, watching it. And then, you know, a sister would get up to speak, you know, and then everybody would be like, oh, it's time to check out, time to go grab the nachos, time to go, you know, do this because they're just going to talk about, you know, babies and, you know, gonna uh, gonna talk about you know women things, and, and they don't really speak for God anyway. You know, they're not really you know true church leaders or, or you know hold the priesthood or something like that. Now, Oof. no one said that out loud. You know, I'm not trying to like say that. Although there were some that that would, <laughs> yeah. but you know, uh, it, it, it got me thinking about the way that that we view some of our our church you know, leaders who are female, and and the way that we view divinity does you know reflect on on where we view authoritative language to, to lie. So uh, I think once we, we really view a, wow, there is a, a female figure to whom I'm beholden to, who has an eternal relationship with me and, and who I'm accountable towards, uh, that, that could shift some of our thinking uh, that, that we have with, uh, with women. I also think that it's, you know, just like, um, like my earthly parents, which I always say, want to say kind and dear as soon as I say earthly parents, because that's how I've yeah. been, <laughs> how I've been trained and brought up. But I, you know, if you think about if you were raised in a single parent home, I think that you always kind of wonder about that other parent, right? Or like, I think about the lessons that I've learned. I've learned some lessons very well from my father and other lessons that I could not have learned had it not been for my mom, right? Because of the way that they uh, both teach very differently. I mean, if you met my parents, you would be like, wow, they were ever married. They've since divorced. But you, you look at them and go, that is two very distinct individuals with, you know, uh, very distinct strengths and weaknesses and, you know, different things. Like I, I think of that and think, you know, when, when we find ourselves absent of, of considering a heavenly mother and the way that a heavenly mother could teach us and the sensitivities there, like it, it seems like a whole lot of learning, a whole part of us maybe not be able to develop. And, and I think that's where some people maybe get a little weird. They're like, hold on, isn't God supposed to impart, you know, God being Heavenly Father is supposed to impart all this stuff. And the way we connect to Heavenly Mother, we're not supposed to pray to Heavenly Mother. So how are you learning this stuff? Like, I think that in the heart of it, we have the desire to connect to a Heavenly Mother. And now, now that we're having the conversation more about her, I think that there's probably a group of people listening to this and within the church who just go, yeah, I'd love to, but I don't really know how. I don't really know how to do that. Huh. I hear your points on, you know, when you look at like an earthly parent, uh -huh. uh, you know, how, how you connect with one and you see your, your maternal connection there too. I think we have some, some, some cultural structure that makes it difficult for us to go across the aisle with women, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll give you some examples here as to what I mean. Please do. Uh, you know, th think of how, like, you know, we sit apart in, in the temple, um, how we can only do ordinances for, you know, our own gender mm -hmm. and, and proxy. Uh, these, these get us to kind of view our heritage as following like a, a gender bound line, you know, that like, you know, I, I connect with my male ancestors and sometimes can get you to forget your very rich maternal lineage, you know, as well. Um, which, I mean, you know, when people study their family history, you start realizing, wow, I have some incredible women, you know, in my background, you know, when midwives, felt hat workers, you know, some of them are, you know, <laughs> revolutionaries. Uh, you, you, and then, of course, then you, you look at your own face, your own features, and you start realizing, wait, I have a very strong maternal heritage, you know, that, that comes down to. And so you start incorporating those parts to yourself, but those get sometimes masked by the way that, that we focus in these kind of, you know, aisle bound male, male, female lines. So I, I think once you come to some self-awareness there, you know, that the, you start you know, raising questions such as you're saying here of, Hey, you know, how do I connect with that? You know, a little bit more. Uh, but I do think there are, there are tools for doing that. Obviously that's, that's part of the reason I, <laughs> I wrote, you know, that the boy's guide to heavenly mother 
with MacArthur is, you know, our, our church leaders have given us guidance here, but also scripture describes God often in very maternal terms too, you know, uh, and Jesus does as well. You know, uh, you know, I love the the verses that we have, you know, will we'll, uh, a woman forget her suckling child? You know, there's this, and then, and then there's that sad acknowledgement. Yes, some do. Some are not good. Yeah. You know, but I won't. I will not forsake you. I, I will be the the perfect mother. I will be the mother that that you know, or earthly mothers sometimes you know fail to be. You know, there's there's God portrayed as you know a mother bear, a mother eagle. You know, there's the mother hen. You know, the the chicks trying to to roost underneath the wings. Uh, there's all these great visual images. You know, even. God is a spirit in the female that, that roosts over the, the egg of the world at creation's dawn. You know, uh, when we, once we start reading that maternal imagery with God, I, I think it gets a little bit easier to, to connect with that, that divine feminine uh, image of God. I, I like the couple things that you have suggested so far, and I'm going to ask you to give me maybe some more uh, as far as that goes. But I like the idea of like looking in family history for those examples of uh, phenomenal women, uh, especially uh, we gentlemen. And I think it would probably sta- uh, ban, uh, bear to stand that, you know, women uh, on the men side, right? So we're not just siloed in our particular gender, but learning about all of our family history. I think that can be pretty powerful. And I think just reading uh, and being able to recognize some of that imagery, like you just mentioned, uh, being able to see, oh, okay, this is this is a very feminine, um, what, focused, I guess, way of, of saying some of those things, uh, and being able to 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 feel the feminine within that. What are other ways that if people are are you know seeking that connection, um, wanting that confirmation, maybe even with a, with and about a heavenly mother? What what other stuff can we be doing? Yeah, that, that's fair. Um, I think it also just involves using Heavenly Mother in our language. You know, how do we present God? You know, some people just love to use the word he with God. You mm-hmm. know, why, why can't we use a they? Why, why can't we talk about her more frequently in our, our testimonies to our sacrament meetings and so on? Uh, I know there, there seems to be, and you brought up, you know, some taboo as it relates to, you know, praying to Heavenly Father versus, you know, our, our direction not to pray directly to Heavenly Mother. Right. But you know, that, that hasn't made taboo Jesus Christ, hasn't made taboo the Holy Spirit. Uh, for us, we might be like, well, of course, but we need to remember other Christian faiths pray to Jesus Christ. They pray to the Holy Spirit. They have a Trinitarian notion of deity. Well, they say, you know, Spirit, comfort me. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't say that. We don't. But that doesn't, therefore, put the Holy Spirit and Jesus in this kind of, you know, box in which, um, you know, we, we can't associate or, or relate to them. So I, I would I would challenge us to think that we can do the same thing uh, with Heavenly Mother. Um, I, I don't see why Heavenly Mother can't be mentioned in a prayer too. Um, just because we don't pray to someone doesn't mean that the name can't be mentioned. We can mention Satan in our prayers. So <laughs> I said, you know, Heavenly Mother can't can't be referenced in a prayer. It's just a, a matter of you know our you might say our oratory content. You know, like Heavenly Father, you know, I, I thank you for for the glorious blessings you and Mother have given us. Hmm. Hmm. That's a prayer to Him. But it, it includes Heavenly Mother, and I don't see any um, direction for, from our church leadership to say, no, you can't mention Heavenly Mother in a prayer, just not to, to pray to Heavenly Mother. Jesus is part of our prayers, too, right? We, we close in his name. Sure. We ask for the Spirit to be in our meetings, but we aren't praying to those beings. So I, I think sometimes we've made that language around prayer more problematic than it needs to be. Interesting. So, yeah, just exploring where we can include a Heavenly Mother that— that is, it, it isn't necessarily the direction of the prayer, but having her within conversation. That's fascinating. I, I yep. had never, I had never considered that, that, uh, that, um, that come at before. I think that's great. What a cool <laughs> thing to add into the conversation. And you're like, yeah, you dummy. I've been talking about this for years, but that I, you know, I think that, that for a lot of people that are looking and seeking that divine feminine connection, like that's a way, cause I, I think we trip ourselves up about this, right? Um, yeah. If you go back and listen to that episode 471, I said, well, we're not supposed to talk about a heavenly mother. That's the thing. And and uh, MacArthur, and I can't remember her other name. The Bethany. Other, yeah, Bethany. Spall. Yeah, Bethany right off the top of my head. They're like, boo, boo. Yeah. 
<laughs> but but that that idea still uh, exists within the church. The heavenly mother is so sacred that we're not talking that we don't talk about her. We don't bring her up in church because we wouldn't want to besmirch the you know the character or the the name or any of that stuff. And so there's sort of hush tones around that. I feel like we're not doing that anymore, or we're doing that far less. Do you do you feel like that's the trajectory of where we're going? I I do as well. Yeah, you know, like you, you see things like, hey, even just the young women's theme, you know, that that came about, you know, uh, where you know I, I'm a beloved daughter of heavenly parents, right? You know, mm-hmm. like, but there's when, when you're making that your official theme as an organization, you're you're obviously not shy of the topic. Um, what, what I would say is it's shifted from silence or or trying to avoid it um, because it's too sacred to oh. I need to talk about it, but how do I talk about it? Which yeah. is some of the questions you've been, been asking me, which I think are very fruitful, fertile, you know, questions. Uh, I, I've done this in, in a few other interviews, but I, I what I try to point to people is to, to think about how early Christians struggled with the notion of communicating uh, about God the Son. How do you describe, it was a scandal, right, that you know, Muslims, uh, Islam, you know, would criticize Christianity for, and of course, many other, you know, faiths around that time would criticize them for. How do you take, you know, the perfect God of heaven and have him become incarnate, you know, and get get crucified by a man? That's freaking ridiculous, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and like to us, it's just like, well, no, like that's that's normal. That's our thinking, you know. That's our theology. Well, yeah, that's cool because you've had people thinking and writing about it for several thousand years. You know, uh, and so I think similarly, we kind of have this feeling of a a scandal like we had with the incarnation of the son. But in the presentation of Heavenly Mother in our faith, we're we're like, oh, how do we create a language around this by which we talk about it? Hmm. How do we create our vocabulary, our mother tongue, you know, as associates to to talking about Heavenly Mother? And and it's it's not immediately an easy thing to do. Um, We're still and I wouldn't say Heavenly Mother is the only place we do that deification is a good example as well where we're like oh, i kind of feel comfortable talking about it but i also feel really awkward talking to my, to my christian brothers about it right right, right. so <laughs> i don't think it's unique but it, it's still uh in the sense of needing that kind of work uh but it's still work that has to be done uh, but we should be excited that, that we now have something that we get to unpack as, as a people together. Is it an opportunity when people start to talk about it to just allow the conversation to happen? And by that, I mean, you know, I, I've thought recently about uh, s- several um, individuals who have sort of spoken up or spoken out about things. And, and quite frankly, some of those people have misspoke, but it's been an opportunity to learn in particular, I guess I'm speaking about uh, Brad Wilcox, who, you know, he he certainly stepped into a lot of things and, and you know, then apologized a couple of times um, saying, you know, n- not only was I historically inaccurate, but also racially insensitive. But but to me, there there's a certain amount uh, of excitement that I have about when something like that occurs that allows all of the other conversation around it to occur. It's not like I'm like, yeah, way to go. You really said that the right way, Brad. That's not what I'm saying. But but that it does allow uh, the mainstream members of the church to be able to to really think about it and and to allow a place. And sometimes, I guess this is a long roundabout way of saying, like sometimes people bring up Mother in Heaven and we all sort of clutch and we tense up and we go, has the person's ended stopping talking about Mother in Heaven? Oh, good. Now I can kind of relax. And I think we just need to be able to allow people to to kind of speak out about things and and maybe they're going to get some part of it wrong. Maybe they're going to have a misspeak, but it's going to allow a conversation rather than that person said that wrong. That person is the worst. I want to get rid of that person. You know, all of those things instead creating a better place where we can all learn from from our own and other people's mistakes. Yes, I'd say that's a good observation. And I would agree that it, it's actually a good thing. Uh, it, it comes all apart with developing a vocabulary. Yeah. It's somewhat, like I said, with the visual arts, that was the symbology that's being worked through. And I think the anxiety comes from not knowing what to expect mm-hmm. or you know, what should be there, what would look right to us. We don't exactly know, you know? <laughs> so as it gets developed and so on, we start to interact with emotionally what with the, the presentations that, uh, you know, people present, you know, that, that they give and we react to them and we think, Oh yeah, that's right. That's not. So I think you'll see this kind of, organic evolution, you might say, of, of the dialogue to, to a place where it'll suddenly, you know, lock and fit and, and continue 
uh, in a way that not, not that it can't change and, and be good in, in the new forms either, mm-hmm. but, but will no longer just create a, a sense of immediate anxiety of, Oh no, where's this going? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I want to, I want to take another break. Let's come back in the third block. A couple more questions that I have for you. And uh, certainly the three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. We'll do that coming back in the third block. I want to take a brief moment and tell you about Best DJ in Utah. You can go to bestdjinutah.com. Who is that me? It's also three other guys that I have hired to work for me. Why? Because business has been so great. Uh, we've been able to help a lot of couples as they've been celebrating their weddings, been able to do a lot of uh, holiday parties, uh, birthday parties, being able to just to do community events as well. We do travel, so I know you're thinking, well, listen, I live in Nevada. I live in Idaho. I've even gone so far as Louisiana. I've been down to Texas. I've been up to Washington. Uh, All of the places certainly is possible to be able to play music in. Obviously, you just need to get there. You can go to bestdjinutah.com. Let's start the conversation about it. You're getting married. You're thinking about getting married. You'd like to get married. Whatever the thing may be, bestdjinutah.com. Hey, friends. Dan, the laptop man from PC Laptops. As you know, there's been a huge video card shortage for computers. We have tons of NVIDIA and AMD video cards right now available with complete systems. Check us out right now at PCLaptops.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, remember you can always send us an email, contact at theculturalhall.com. You can make uh, guest suggestions. You can say, you know what, I really like that Marty Polito. You should have him back. Or similarly, I guess, and I don't know anyone that would do this, you could write us contact at theculturalhall.com and say, never allow Marty to come back again. We'll take that email as well. Contact at theculturalhall.com. You can always put guest suggestion or whatever the uh, kind of, you know, subject of that email might be. Guess where you put it? Subject line. I'm not teaching you email. Just do it. If you don't know how to do it by now, I don't think you're going to do it. Contact at theculturalhall.com. Marty, uh, is there anything in your study of Heavenly Mother that you have found to be particularly unique or impactful that maybe doesn't get discussed uh, as much as you would hope? That's a good question. Uh, There are a few areas. Um, One I think that isn't given enough um, appreciation is the first reference to to Heavenly Mother. Uh, A lot of people zero in on Eliza Snow's hymn, right, which is is pretty wonderful and does approach Heavenly Mother in a very different way than than the sources before her. So I, I wouldn't slight that that hymn or that work from uh, Eliza Snows. However, William W. Phelps one is his song of Zion is, is pretty remarkable for a, a few different reasons. Um, one, it's published before Joseph Smith, you know, passes away. So the, the question that, you know, hey, is this some, you know, idea that, you know, some Latter-day Saints, you know, concocted after Joseph Smith and, and then just like to staple to his name because he was the first prophet? Um, it's not the case. You know, it was published in the Times and Seasons where, where he himself was editor. I'm sure he had many other responsibilities to mm-hmm. being the editor of that newspaper and probably just glanced, you know, over at it. But uh, it, it was published in, in, in that mainstream, you know, periodical. Uh, what's interesting also about it is that Phelps uh, approaches, you know, Heavenly Mother in, in a way you wouldn't expect as well. So he doesn't mention her as mother. He presents her as the queen of heaven. Uh, and he uses a, a messianic reading of the psalm. You know, messianic readings of Psalms are very common in the New Testament. You know, Jesus himself does them on the cross, you know, let alone in other places, too, uh, which we see with the the Acts of the Apostles. So Phelps kind of adopts a very common Christian tradition of looking at language in the Psalms and reading them in messianic ways. So he does this in Psalms 45, where he captures through this messianic reading a, a kind of pre-mortal coronation of Jesus Christ. And at this coronation, uh, you know, he says, you know, that the queen of heaven is there to, to his side, you know, witnessing his coronation, essentially. And so those aren't the exact words he uses, but you can see the messianic ring as he lays out, out the language. Uh, and then he fuses that with the parable in the New Testament of, you know, the king of heaven being like, like a woman, you know, that, that puts 11, you know, a little bit of leaven is able to, you know, leaven the whole loaf. Hmm. Um, you know, he, he connects this with her and is essentially investing in Jesus Christ, um, putting him into the world to, to save all of mankind. So it's a really neat, I think, cool way of looking at the Queen of Heaven uh, and perhaps even 
presenting feminine deity outside of motherhood. You know, he's really just looking at it from, you know, this queen standpoint. Uh, but but in terms of the messianic reading of, with, with Jesus Christ. It, so uh, I think I think that's pretty novel, pretty neat uh, and, and isn't discussed. And, and the name of that hymn again is what? Uh, a Song of Zion. OK. And that's not in our hymn book. It is not. Has it ever yeah. been in our hymn book? Not to my knowledge. Uh, I don't know if I've, I've ever tried to track that down. That's a, yeah. I, I, it, it sounds absolutely beautiful. I wonder how the melody is, right? That's where my mind immediately <laughs> goes. Sometimes some of the most well-written and like poetic, you know, meaning and impactful, for some reason they get laid down on a melody that it's like, okay, we, that song won't ever be <laughs> sang. But it's called A Song of Zion. Well, maybe, maybe... Here we go. Let's let's throw this out into the universe. Maybe it will be a part of the newly revised hymn book that will be coming out. That would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> it's quite possible. Uh, I, I someone would have to to try to convince the church to have more William W. Phelps yeah. in their hymn book. Yeah. <laughs> they already have so yeah. much already. Yeah, <laughs> and, and actually create a nice version of it. But uh, you know, who, who's to say? Uh, to to make a shameless plug, I will say there's some great. That poem, and, and uh, it's a blurred background here, so uh-huh. I, I got nixed myself. Uh, but Dove Song, which is an, an anthology I edited with Tyler Chadwick and Dana Patterson, has a lot of that early Latter-day Saint poetry, including, you know, that one I just mentioned from, from William W. Phelps. Hmm. And it, so if anyone's interested in some of how the, the early saints presented Heavenly Mother artistically, at least, and, and we know that the, the there's a kind of blur between the early moment of poetry and our theology, and it's not as clearly distinct. Uh, it, it could be of interest to them. Um, I'm trying to go back to your original question, though. Is there anything else that I would say is is interesting or, or something further to uh, you know call out or discuss? Um, hmm. I, I guess I was uh, the sacred silence piece still shocks me. Uh, I don't know if that's any u- uniqueness to, to you know anyone anymore, but I'd never heard of that actually. Tell, uh, tell, tell when I was yeah, tell up. people tell people a little bit about it so that they know what you're talking about. Oh yeah, no worries. Uh, so when I started studying Heavenly Mother, uh, you know, I, I came across through some Latter Day Saint writers who, who weren't general authorities or church leaders. You know, they're seminary teachers. Uh, memoirs of people, you know, that uh, you know, I, they shouldn't talk about Heavenly Mother or didn't feel like they should because it was it was too sacred to mm-hmm. to talk about. Uh, it reminded me, in some ways, a little bit like uh, you you have in the scriptures the original name of the priesthood. You know, mm-hmm. the, the priesthood is after the name of the, you know the, the Holy Son of God, uh, and we go and change that to the Melchizedek priesthood out of desire of not, not using some kind of vain repetition or something, mm-hmm. which is somewhat ironic with the name, the church, name of the church, right? That right. We're from the church, we're always doing something like that. And now we've gone the other way of, no, we're going to mention all the time, <laughs> you know? Uh, but it, it felt to me like people were, were doing something like that with, with Heavenly Mother. Uh, but uh, I always just thought, huh, that is the strangest thing. Like, wait, you know, we, we mention our temples. We we mention God, the Father, God, the Son. You know, why not God, the Mother? Like, this is how can one be more sacred than the other? Like, is, is she she's so fragile <laughs> that she can't you know handle it? Like, what what does that say about the nature of divinity that they they must be hidden hmm. to be sacred? Like, d- doesn't that naturally make you feel like this person is is cold and distant hmm. to you? Hmm. You know, so like, there's some you know indirect you might say baggage that 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 comes with with that notion. So uh, I'd never encountered it. So it was it was amusing for me as a, you know, I, I'm not a first generation Latter-day Saint. I'm, I'm a second through my father's side. Uh, but, you know, my mother's side all the way back to, from the Hill Cumorah. Oh, wow. Uh, and yet none of us had had really encountered that that idea. But we weren't Utah Latter-day Saints very much, you know, more Idaho to, you know, Texas and California. So. Hmm. Uh, Marty, there are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I will ask those of you now. Uh, don't be nervous. I think you'll be just fine. The first question is, Is do you have a calling? And if so, what is it? Uh, I no longer do. I was in a bishopric until two weeks ago. Uh, I was a counselor there, got, got you know released because the whole bishopric got released. I now have an assignment, not, not a calling yet, to play the the prelude music uh, at, at church before it begins. Nice. So that is my, my current way of, of relaxing after uh, years of, of bishopric service. <laughs> how, how, where, where in Texas are you? 
Uh, in, in Bedford first. Okay. Uh, so it's a mid cities. So be between Dallas and Fort Worth. Okay. There, there is a, you know, segment of, of towns uh, in which I reside. So you'll have the opportunity to go to either temple, right? Cause didn't they just announce one in Fort Worth? So correct. now you're like, which temple do I feel like going to? I'm like a exactly. Utah Mormon. <laughs> yeah. It'll still be a drive. I'm sure either way, but yeah. I am hopeful the new one will be closer uh, and it may be prettier than the Dallas temple. No, no offense to those bomb shelter design temples <laughs> <laughs> of a certain generation. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Mm, that is an interesting question. Uh, I'm actually quite a bit of a family history nerd. Uh, myself. Uh, So there's the family history consulting role, but um, I would love it not just in terms of doing it within the church, but uh, within a local community outreach too. There's uh, in my community and a lot of neighboring communities in Texas, uh, you know, cemeteries that, that belong to, you know, not just, um, you know, might say old residents, but there's also many that are like freedmen, you know, cemeteries where there's not um, a lot documented, Mm-hmm. Uh, that they're worn away. Um, I, I'd love to to work with people locally in the area to help them, you know, capture their their heritage. So, uh, if I had a calling, uh, I, I think, uh, and I could campaign for it and secure it, that'd probably be that. I, I'd vote for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Done. You got one vote. Uh, the last question we ask you to interpret it however you would like, but the question remains: What is your favorite part of your faith? Oh, wow. Hmm. Now, I, I, I would say I struggle with any hierarchy, you know, when I, I, you know, in any topic of my life, like what's my favorite dish or something sure. like that. So I, I'd rather just say, you know, what is something I, I vastly, um, you know, appreciate? Um, uh, Heavenly Mother would definitely be up there, but I, I love continuing revelation. I, I love the, the, in my opinion, open-endedness of it versus the close-endedness of it. You know, some folks may view revelation as a kind of continuing narrowing down of a discussion so that there's less to be said um, when I really see it as an opener of what more can be said, uh, that things are, are always somewhat tentative. There's always, you know, a different way of seeing things, that there's an uh, unlimited number of perspectives, uh, you know, and yeah, God may experience, you know, them all, you might say, but still there's a way in which, uh, you know, we can always learn more. Uh, so there's in, in the Latter-day Saint faith, while we have a strong focus on, on you might say, religious certainty that, that comes through our, our testimony meetings and testimony witness experiences, I, I find that there's also a balance to that through a huge sense of religious discovery, you know, which you can just feel that you're no longer having to just, you know, commit to, to some particular creed to say, uh, but you can always feel like you're exploring with God what there is and, and what there is to know, what there is to love. Uh, and, and I think that's an awesome companionship that, that continuing revelation provides. Yeah, I love it. Uh, Marty Polito has been my guest. You can find a link to A Boy's Guide to Heavenly Mother in the show notes. In addition to his piece that he uh, did with Dr. Paulson, uh, you can find that link there as well, including a short bio about Marty as well, uh, if you want to learn a little bit more about him. Uh, Marty, I hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you are not healthy enough to listen this week, that you will be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, Brother Brent, Chocolate Cake Bites Podcast, and Miracles, I Told You So, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.